We can think of Walt Whitman on the Brooklyn Ferry, big and bold, crossing the East River, so associated with New York. The urban center is the great American poet. And yet, and yet, it turns out that it was the friendship of the Stafford family and the beauty and vitality of its working farm in Laurel Spring, New Jersey, that gave Walt Whitman a place to heal from the trauma of his time as a nurse in Washington, D.C. during the Civil War, tending, as he did, to soldiers' broken bodies and spirits, and space to recuperate from a partial stroke. Whitman immersed himself in the natural world of the farm and of the Delaware River and the big timber creek that drained into the river. He wrote, As everyone has a hobby liking, mine is for a real farm lane, fenced by old chestnut rails, gray-green, with dabs of moss and lichen, copious weeds and briars, growing in spots athwart the heaps of stray-picked stones at the fence bases, irregular paths worn between, and horse and cow tracks, all characteristic accompaniments marking and scenting the neighborhood in their seasons, apple tree blossoms in forward April, pigs, poultry, a field of August buckwheat, and in another the long flapping tassels of maize, and so to the pond, the expansion of the creek, the secluded, beautiful, with young and old trees, and such recesses and vistas. So, still sauntering on to the spring under the willows, musical as soft clinking glasses, pouring a sizable stream, thick as my neck, pure and clear, out from its vent, where the bank arches over like a great brown shaggy eyebrow or mouth roof, gurgling, gurgling ceaselessly, meaning, saying something, of course, if one could only translate it, always gurgling there, the whole year through, never giving out, oceans of mint, blackberries in summer, choice of light and shade, just the place for my July sun baths and water baths, too, but mainly the inimitable soft sound gurgles of it as I sit there hot afternoons how they and all grow into me, day after day, everything in keeping, the wild, just palpable perfume, and the dapple of leaf shadows, and all the natural, medicinal, elemental, moral influences of the spot. That from the collection Jottings in the Wood, a volume of Whitman's writings from Specimen Days, Whitman's time on the farm may seem somewhat isolated, solitary, inward-looking, but this from the poet who sings and shouts, I find I incorporate nice, coal, long-threaded moss, fruits, grains, esculent roots, and am stuccoed with quadrupeds and birds all over. He suggests that the stream has a voice, and perhaps the most important thing is for each of us to find our voice. The quest is a personal one, according to Tom Cheatham, and the result is communal. The result is compassion and communion. In the silence, 
that then descends on the farm. For example, as we just heard, one can begin to hear the chorus of creation, to find oneself sung into fragments by a music of terrible majesty and reborn with a love and compassion for creation that passes far, far beyond any human understanding. And how wondrous then that some miles up the Delaware River from where a wounded Whitman sought healing on the Stafford farm and celebrated all he experienced in nature there, Tanis Kowalczyk sings out with the birds on Willow-Wisp Farm, a catalog of the down-deep wonders she is part of there. In these decompositions, I want to give myself over to the fungal, to the microbial, to the scavenging processes of life. What does it feel like to change, to get broken down, to become humus? Oh, (laughs) I mean human. On this composting heap, it's just me, a common eukaryote, one of millions, no billions, no trillions of nematodes, bacteria, and fungi on this compost. In this place, it's just me here now, oddly balanced on this pile of rotten, on this funny life that I am in the middle of, in the in between of life and death, in sickness and in health, in reinvention, in revelation. On this composting heap, it's just me, a common eukaryote, one of millions, no billions, no trillions of nematodes, bacteria, and fungi on this compost. In this place, it's just me. And those birds. Tanis Kowalczyk, theater artist, organic farmer, celebrating decomposition, believe it or not, and inviting us to play in the compost pile with her as we experience her new solo performance piece, Decompositions, to be presented this Saturday and Sunday at Farm Arts Collective on Willow Wisp Organic Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. She'll be digging into birth, death, farming, art, aging, and transformation. And she paid a visit to the WVIA studios to share her excitement about the new work and all she uncovers in her digging into the notion of decomposition. It's fitting, then, that we began by digging into her past to learn something of the roots of her passion for theater. I started in Canada. I trained at a university in my hometown in Winnipeg. And there was a company, a theater company, that moved from Montreal to my city. Um, it was a company called Primus, and they had been working with a European director at the National Theater School in Montreal, a school I really wanted to get into. And I even got a call back. And uh, I had a great audition, but they were like, honey, you're a little too young to come into this school. You got to get a little bit older. So I was like, oh. But I ended up, in the end, strangely working with the people I would have gone to school with. 
What drew you to their way of working particularly? What it was was not kitchen sink drama. It wasn't um, linear theater realism. It wasn't like movies on stage. It was theater where the actor was really, really engaged in a, in a really deeply visceral, physical way. They were speaking in more poetic ways. Um, they, was, they were singing, using their voices in extraordinary athletic manners. And it was something I was just like, why didn't anyone teach me this in university? Why did they get to learn this? And I so watched them and watched them for a year. I watched their training. I even dated one of them. So I really got to know it. And then I finally, it was like one of the actors was leaving. And I, was, I wrote a very long, passionate letter to the whole theater company and to the director. And I said, this is really what I meant to do. And I really would love the opportunity to join this theater company. May I? And they said, yes. And so then I worked with them for seven years. And I trained with them. And we traveled to Europe. And we traveled all across Canada. And in fact, in this piece that I've, I've written and I'm performing soon, I talk about that company and what it was like, and I tell a whole story about traveling with them and an experience I had there in, in Labrador. <laughs> Where did their material come from? Was it from exchange between and among the actors? Yes, it's much like how I work now. It's exactly like how I work. I mean, it's uh, there's a strong a strong director who then works with each actor, then asks the actor to become a creator. The actor is the creator of their material, of their character. Much of their text could, you know, might be found or written by the by the actor. And a lot of singing takes place between the company members to both train the voice, but also to use in performance. So I'm really working in that same in that same tradition and manner with my theater company at Farm Arts Collective, and also in the way I really develop my my material for my solo play. And primus meaning primal, connected in that rich word? Yes, it was the full name of the company was Penitus Primus, which is Latin for first feathers, because we were the offspring of a very well-known experimental company called Odin Teatret, which were based in, in Hostelbro, Denmark. And uh, they, were, they were descendants of Grotowski, and many people know Grotowski in the United States as a big experimental theater influence. And the range of material, the range of stories told, were there stories being told? We were very mythical. We told a story. We'd had a play called Alcoremi, which was a, a kind of invented name, and it was a, it was set in a mythological place. It was it was very far out and experimental. We had another piece called The Night Room and it was this place, this this place of dreams and we built a tent all around the audience and the audience sat in the tent and then we would go in and out of the 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 fabric walls and make projections. We had a lot of street theater work, uh, much like Farm Arts Collective does uh, a lot of stilt walking, a lot of parade and processional work um, when we would travel to other countries where like maybe the language was not, you know, if an audience didn't speak English, the parade was always a great way to perform and do acrobatics and stilt walking and for cultural exchanges. So yeah, that was my big influence for seven years. And I went to New York City after that. The company Primus decided that we would stop working together and that everyone wanted to do more independent work. We were in our, all in our early 30s at that point, and I think some people just wanted to branch out on their own um, away from the teacher because we had a very strong teacher, master, director, and everyone wanted to grow up and forge their own paths. And so I was like, 
I've been in Winnipeg for 30 years. I'm going to go to New York City and do theater. And I had a, a, a colleague who became my boyfriend, and we started a theater company in New York City. Here you are on an organic farm. What were the steps that got you across the George Washington Bridge or whatever route you take up to northeastern Pennsylvania? Um, well, it started with having the opportunity to run an artist residence and theater space in Sullivan County, New York, which is the Catskills, southwestern Catskills. And so the theater company that I founded in, in New York City called NACL Theater we were working we were working out of this space in Sullivan County for for a number of years um, hosting residencies for other artists from North America hence our name North American Cultural Laboratory and we also made our own work and so it was really it was um, the first time being in a more rural place um, reminded me more of Winnipeg in some ways than New York City did that's for sure and I was really enchanted by the area, and I started um, feeling the need to start to build a, a community there rather than New York City. I was quite interested in what I was seeing, the effect of my work being in, in the area rather than, I mean, New York City didn't need me as much as my, my current community needed me. So I just thought it's time to like bear down and just say, I'm, I'm here, I'm not going to be doing double double time in both places. I just want one place to be. And so I stayed and the colleague with whom I made the NACL with, he was really interested in in pursuing his PhD and a life in the city. So it was a really clean, clean break. And in the end, you know, I ended up forming another company, you know, Farm Arts Collective. And and Brad has stayed with NACL and he's like really working at bringing experimental work from New York City to that place. And it's like it was a really nice diverging of paths that suited both of us. Your interest in understanding our place as humans in the physical world in which we live, how has that grown? How did that first take shape in your work? I think the first time I started to switch my attention to the environment and to the land and to the greater physical world around me was um, when I actually did a piece called The Weather Project in 2012, 2013. It was a piece that I wanted to make about climate change and at the same time do a major community project. And so working with the idea of climate change and working with environmentalism along with the human environment that I was surrounded by the community really engaged my imagination and also like a part of me that one I felt like I was doing a really good service I felt very fulfilled because I was seeing how creating art with the people where I live was very impactful and it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to them and to the people who came to see it because they were recognizing themselves in the art, right? So it's like, there's my daughter, there's my fireman, there's my, there's my, the guy who works at the grocery store, they're all doing this stuff. I recognize myself. And so that really, really, that really let the penny drop. Is that the word, <laughs> the way to say it for me, which made me want to continue working on both pieces that are connecting to the land, art that connects to the land and the environment with people who are from the area and it just all it all it all works very very well for me and also for my community I think because it's it's integrated and we're talking about things that are important to us inevitably 
themes that are important and pressing and make us ask questions because that's what we want to do with our art is ask questions so we can better understand ourselves and the world and each other. And you are someone who respects science as well. So some of the productions you've created actually involve scientists, people who do that kind of work, who are examining the atmosphere, for example. Absolutely. You know, I do have a colleague who is now a retired NASA scientist who is like a friend. She's become a very dear friend. And so I'm always sending her questions if we're dealing with a certain, you know, a scientific fact in a performance or I want to know something, you know, she'll often be able, well, she's always very willing to help. And I, and I, I really appreciate what, what Elaine Matthews, that's her name, does for our, our work. We also made a play about two scientists, which really, really made us work, do our, do our homework, of course. It was two years ago, um, we made a piece in 2021 called The Scientists, and it was one of our dream on the farms because we're doing a decalogue of theater performances from 2020 to the year 2030. And the 10 was significant because it was the amount of time we're given before we have to, right? Exactly. The scientist said in around 2020, we've got 10 years to bring down the heat. We've got 10 years to change change our behavior because they really don't want it to the, the heat of the planet to keep rising. And it is. But um, that was the year, you know, 10 years was the timeline. Mm-hmm. And what have you learned from the zinnias and the tomatoes and the lettuce? You live and work on an organic farm. What what have you learned in that exchange with the soil and the light and the air and the water? What kinds of lessons have you absorbed and then bring to us? Well, I think the thing you realize as a farmer is that you're not in control. And... You know, we want to be able to, as humans, to have that control, but we don't. And farming is the the greatest example of that. You can't control the weather. You cannot control what the temperature is going to be. And even, like, are the seeds going to germinate? You do your best to create the best environment, feed the soil, take care of it, um, set up your systems for, for irrigation, for, you know, tending to it, keeping the weeds down. You know, you do all your work. You do all your work. But in the end, it is not up to you. And and wow, that's an interesting way to live. We work so hard. And you set it all up for success. But it doesn't always happen. And that's a great lesson. And what are we learning? We're learning, like practically speaking, that yes, the, the uh, temperatures are changing. The seasons are extending. The weather is very unpredictable and so it's more it's more stressful actually and the, the plants are more stressed this year um the plants this year went from drought to freezing to too much rain right now and so uh, we are having issues on the farm that we've never had before with some insects it's it's not easy right now truth be told i feel a little nervous about certain things mm-hmm is the lesson we're not in control that you just described so powerfully, Tannis, is that something that becomes very much a part of decompositions, this piece? Does that play a role in that? Yes. Yeah, definitely for decompositions, you know, I'm looking at a 
compost pile as a metaphor for your process of living, which includes being sick, being healthy, getting older, things changing, things decomposing within your own system and your own body. And so we, of course, are not in control of that. Again, it's like farming. You can eat all the right foods. You can do, you can set up your life for success. But all this other stuff happens. Like why does one zinnia plant live and the other one right next to it turns brown and shrivels up or gets aphids? You know, like why? They're the same plant. They're in the same environment. They're, you know, it's like that question is, it's, it's a, I say, you know, life is a miracle no matter how it happens. I say that a number of times in the show because it is a miracle. The cycle of life that you're helping us come to terms with, there's not just the second law of thermodynamics and entropy. We're not just winding down. There are those moments of joy and beauty that somehow we need to acknowledge and experience. Exactly. And sometimes in the face of those those incidents, when you feel like maybe, oh, you know, I'm scared because this is happening to me or like I, I'm close to my own mortality right now. Sometimes the result of that is you you forge forward even with greater energy and with more ambition and with better ideas, greater ideas. And so so. You know, I talk about that too. I say sometimes when you're faced with your own mortality, you'll do things, things you'll never, you never would have done otherwise. And then I talk about some examples of that, like building a theater performance with your entire town, convincing even the mayor to be a part of it, or making a play about a woman who's had a stroke and then realizing after you've performed it all over the country that that was the occupational therapy you needed all along. Those are the things, you know, it's like, wow, look at, look at all the things we do in, in the face of adversity or... You know, <laughs> you talked about metaphor. You are performing on a compost heap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's just say I'm not always on it. Sometimes I go around it and sometimes I even go to a table and do some other things. But yes, my compost pile in decompositions is center stage. It's not me. It's that compost pile, that center stage. And I work around it. And I was like, why is that compost pile able to do all of this rot and stink and ferment and change so elegantly. I wish I could do that with such elegance. <laughs> what does Gertrude Stein have to do with this? Gertrude Stein is entirely responsible for this play. <laughs> so I was thinking about this performance and I was like, I'm thinking about compost. And I mentioned this to a friend, an, a, an old friend, an old NACL friend of mine who's a scholar and a teacher of philosophy and literature at Bard. And I was telling him I'm, I'm interested in compost as my and, and decomposition as my themes. And he said, have you read Composition as Explanation by Gertrude Stein? And I was like, no, I will. And he sent me a, he said, it's meant to be read aloud. <laughs> and so I think he sent me an, a video of someone reading it, if it was not even him. And I, I listened to it. And Gertrude Stein is really playful in this, but she's saying things like, the composition is the thing seen by everyone living in the living they are doing. They are the composing of the composition that at the time they are living in the composition of the time in which they are living. And it is that that makes living the thing they are doing. They are conducting life and that makes their composition what it is. It makes their work compose as it does. So she's so playful that way. And so I say in the play, 
you have inspired me, Gertrude. And we have a beautiful, like, animated projection of Gertrude up above my head. And uh, we thank Gertrude for the inspiration. (laughs) What are people saying? Now, you've taken this out, haven't you? Yes, I think they like it. <laughs> I mean, I think people are moved by it, moved by it. They 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 find connections to it in various places. I mean, you know, I performed it in Portsmouth in February. And some people came up to me and said, "This is a picture they had had a postcard of someone who had just died in their life because I talk about that about death and losing people and People like share share their own life, actually, after the show, various stories, whether it's cancer, whether it's death. I mean, this sounds really depressing. It's not a very depressing show, though. Honestly, it's funny in some ways. and But it brings them to the place to share after the, after the experience of the play. And I find that so touching when people tell me things that they wouldn't normally have said to just any other, you know, performer who was maybe doing another kind of piece. And you told us about starting those seven years with Primus and the voice and the importance of singing with between and among the actors, but also for you as a performer creator. What role, how do you use music in that? Music is a really big part of all my work because I feel like when you sing, you're you're able to express emotion and feeling in a less direct way, in a more emotional way. And so I sing a lot throughout. I, I love the composing of my friend Rima Fand, who I've worked with for many, many years. Rima writes perhaps some of the saddest songs and the most kind of minor tunes that I've ever heard. She's writing an opera right now that's very beautiful. American Opera Projects is producing it. So I sing a couple of her songs in the piece, um, a couple of my own songs um, on the, both the accordion and also just like a little bit of a, like a hip hop rapping. I also work with, I'm working with an Indian DJ. She's um, from India and, and plays very interesting rhythms. So I use a lot of her rhythms in the show. It just transports me and audience, I think, in a way that's it's different from talking, you know, and I, I've always used it in my work. It's just, it's just a part of me. I love singing. I love singing. <laughs> We couldn't not use the word organic, but when I ask you about the organic nature of the piece, it unfolds in a natural way with rhythms that might, in fact, reflect natural rhythms in any way. The rhythm of the whole piece yes. of the show? Oh, I, I would think so. I mean, I always look at rhythm in a performance because I feel like you don't want to have the same, same, it's literally a rhythm. You don't want to have the same rhythm from scene to scene. You always have to change the rhythm the way that, again, life changes rhythms. You know, it's a different rhythm at night than the afternoon than the morning in a day, in one day. So I feel like the rhythm of this piece is, is definitely changing. And also the the flow and the transition between serious and humor, movement and song, projection. We have projections in the piece. So every... Every title of uh, the performance, because it's it's 10 titles in this performance, or 10 compositions, or decompositions. So it's decomposition number one, germination. And so each, each composition has a different rhythm to it, and of course, message and text, but it's it follows the composting process. The title literally follows the process of life and decomposition. Mm-hmm. And how do you think about 
taking it on the road, taking it to various places, is that one of the luxuries of doing a one-person show? You nailed it. (laughs) That's exactly right. You know, I love performing, Erica. It's like really, I just realized, oh, it's really my favorite thing to do. And I want to be able to, with this piece, for the next few years, you know, I can keep doing this piece for a while, I think, to be able to, to travel, to visit other theater companies and other communities and other friends in in places as far as Italy or Canada, across the United States, and share my work. Because what I what I love most is really the exchange when I bring a piece to a community and get to meet everybody and, and eat together and be together. Mm-hmm. And that's so much a part of what we understand about the Farm Arts Collective, the eating, the sharing together, not just because it's a farm and you have vegetables available to you, but that's part of what you all value in life. Exactly. Like, really, we are trying to find that intersection of farming, art, food, and ecology, and really looking for them for interesting ways that they intersect and can inform each other, those those practices of living. And what do you see among people who are connected with farms? Is this something that you are pioneering in? Are people exploring in different ways and you talk to each other? What's happening? Yeah, that's, there are some people who are bringing art and environmentalism, certainly, and activism to their farms. I mean, there's there's the old company, um, Bread and Puppet Theater, who are located in a rural community and have been doing bread after their theater performances. There's um, a company in Massachusetts called Double Edge Theater. There's um, a company I'll be visiting in November called Clear Creek Creative. And they actually came to our farm to perform a piece about fracking last June. Farm Arts Collective presented them. um, And um, we're going to go and visit them and share this work with their community. So that's, that's what I like best is when we can bring people to our farm and then we go and visit other communities and farms. And... There's definitely, you know, there are people out there who are rural rural artists and environmentalist farmers, and it's going to be fun to connect with them and to discover who else is doing this, because they, they're out there. And where can we see you do this in the near future? Well, I'll be doing decompositions on Saturday, July 1st, and Sunday, July 2nd, at Will-O-Wisp Organic Farm, which is where Farm Arts Collective is based, and we're in Damascus, Pennsylvania. And tickets can be purchased online at farmartscollective.org. We'll be, of course, having some food. Before that performance, a wonderful author named Darcy Stanky, who's going to be reading from a new book of hers. She's working on a book about the body and disease. She just got back from Paris, where she was going to these really interesting libraries and museums. So she's a really interesting author. She's also written a piece about menopause. And so I think she'll be able to talk about that as well. So it's going to be a really interesting evening at the farm. I'm performing outside. I mean, I'm praying that the the weather is good for us. But it's right on the farm and it's so beautiful. It fits the show so well. So I'm really, I'm hoping a lot of people can come out to see it on the farm, outside, under the stars with the compost, the biggest compost I'll ever have because it's great. (laughs) Tanis Kowalczyk, theater artist and organic farmer, 
speaking about decompositions. Her new solo performance piece to be presented this Saturday and Sunday, July 1st and 2nd at 7.30 each evening at Farm Arts Collective on Willow Wisp Organic Farm. It's in Damascus, Pennsylvania. It's a 25-acre organic vegetable and flower farm. She'll be digging into birth, death, farming, art, aging, and transformation in and around and on a compost heap. And for more information on the web, farmartscollective.org, farmartscollective.org. There will be songs and humor and visual images projected, and it is an evening not to be missed. Tanis Kowalczyk, farmartscollective.org. She will present decompositions this Saturday and Sunday evening at 7.30 at Willow Wisp Organic Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania, And if you need more information on the web, farmartscollective.org. The 2023 season is full and rich. There will be a family day on July 15th at 10 in the morning, a farm tour on the 23rd of July, Dream on the Farm. That's part of their Decalogue, and those performances will take place on the farm August 8th through the 13th. So much to look forward to. You can find out everything you need to know on the web, farmartscollective.org. <laughs>